Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Sprout and Herbology because Sprout's birthday is this month, so we will celebrate Sprout. We're going to have a couple interesting discussions about her, and I think we're going to unveil a list of every single quasi-significant moment from Sprout oh, there were so in the many. series. Oh, so many. <laughs> it's a short list. It's actually kind of fascinating. And this week, we are also joined by one of our Slug Club members from Patreon, Franzi. Hi, Franzi. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. And you're over in Germany, right? Yeah, in Hamburg. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today. And thanks for your support on Patreon. Let's get your fandom ID. Yeah, so my favorite book is Prisoner of Azkaban. My favorite movie is Chamber of Secrets. My Hogwarts house is Ravenclaw. My Ilvermorny house is Thunderbird. My Patronus is a vole. And my favorite muggle plant, um, I don't really uh, have a favorite plant since I'm not that good with plants. <laughs> I have a dead orchid right behind me, so uh, we can say oh. that. <laughs> That poor orchid. Don't worry. I'm also not a very good plant parent, so. I won't even try. I just hear about yeah. my friends' failures, and I'm like, <laughs> really? I'm not going to do much better than them. They're responsible. Oh, it's not that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard. I think that, that mine's still in the office from over a year ago. Oh, so yeah. that one's dead. Yeah. I feel terrible because I had a succulent. Same. In the office, um, just sitting on my desk, and it probably lived for a while because they're pretty hardy, but it's yeah. for sure dead at this point. It's been over a year. <laughs> All these poor plants that we I lost know. over the past year, amongst so many other things. I gotta say, Franzi, it's really exciting that you do know and have your Ilvermorty house. It's not everybody who outside of America takes that test. Uh, yeah, I, I was taking every test. Uh, possible <laughs> when it, when they came <laughs> out uh, and i was um able to remember thunderbird since it's like the equivalent to ravenclaw yeah, yeah. So it was easy to remember <laughs> all right y'all well we also wanted to note that we are recording this episode before mother's day and we want to wish everyone a joyful celebration with the people who are most important to you we also know that this can be a hard day for some and we encourage celebration of any positive influential parental figures in your lives. Indeed. And to get us started today, I thought we would start with a game. Oh. And it's called Potter Plant or Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, are you playing uh are you playing the new Pokemon Snap? Is this what uh, is I am uh, yeah. I am <laughs> this week's episode sponsored by New Pokemon Snap. <laughs> Take pictures of Pokemon uh, today. It's so good. Andrew, it's so I great. Can definitely see you doing that in real life though. Getting a camera, going out, and just taking pictures of Pokemon in the wild. Like, if they were actually real. I would love that. Would that would be great. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so how this is going to work is I'm going to give each of you a noun, and you're just going to have to guess if, it, guess if it's a Potter plant or Pokemon. Franzi, let's start with you, since you're the guest. No pressure. Okay. <laughs> okay. The first one. Grubbin. G-R-U-B-B-I-N. Grubbin. Potter plant or Pokemon? Um... I'm, I'm going with Pokemon. That is right. <laughs> Laura, Valerian, V-A-L-E-R-I-A-N. Potter plant or Pokemon? I think that's a Pokemon. Okay. Final answer? Yeah. 
I'm nervous. I'm sorry. Oh. That's a potter plant. Valyrian root. Oh, yes. Yep. Weasley's meddling my roots or whatever. An ingredient found in treacle fudge and one of the ingredients in the drought of living death and the droughts of Wait, peace. What's the name of that Pokemon though? Doesn't Eevee evolve into three? Isn't their name? Well, Vaporeon. Vaporeon. Oh, Vaporeon. Yeah. I'm sorry. Ah, it sounded yes. really similar That's what to I was a thinking Pokemon of. name. And by the way, um, Franzi's Pokemon was a bug type Pokemon. Number 736 found in Pokemon Sun, Moon, Sword, and Shield. 736. Oh. I am old, you guys. Okay. I am <laughs> I am well, really old. <laughs> Andrew, remember when Andrew asked me about this game, I said, you can't go for the original 151 because I feel like most of the people on this podcast would be able to easily say whether or not it's a Pokemon. So you got to go right. deep into the yeah. index, yeah. the Pokedex. No, you're 100% right. As hesitant as I was to learn the other Pokemon, I'm enjoying Snap so much that I might actually consider reading up on some of these guys. Well, I grew up with the German names. They are different from the English ones. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. This is extra oh, challenging. Franzi, this game is like five times harder for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Eric. Flitterbloom. Potter plant or Pokemon? I'm going to go with Pokemon. I'm sorry. What? It's a potter plant. Oh my god. A harmless gosh. indoor houseplant. I know, right? It sounds just like a Pokemon, though. That sounds like a Pokemon, yeah. Okay, Micah, Rilla Bloom. I'll say Pokemon just because Eric's wasn't. <laughs> Damn it, you're right. <laughs> That's a grass type Pokemon. Number A12, found in Sword and Shield. Forgive me for confusing Flitter Bloom with Rilla Bloom. Oh I know, I know. <laughs> what a great I was game. like, ooh, these two are very similar. This is perfect. It's the final form of the starter Pokemon, Grookey. Okay, uh, Franzi, Trivial Fig. Franzi, sorry. I, I read about that when I was doing my research here, so I know <gasps> this is the Potter plan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I was, I was afraid some of you would have done research and... Uh, Remembered some of these, but I guess the rest of the panel didn't. Yeah, don't worry, Andrew. I didn't do any research. (laughs) (laughs) Franzi has the uh, best score right now. She got both of hers correct. All right, uh, Laura, Belladonna. Uh, Well, I know that means beautiful lady. Potter plant, Pokemon, or Laura? (laughs) That doesn't really help me. Um, I'm going to say Pokemon. Wow. No. (laughs) It's a poisonous plant used in potions. Mm. All right, Eric, Badoo, B-U-D-E-W. Pokemon. Yes. Yeah. Grass and poison Pokemon, number 406, found in diamond and pearl. Onward. And finally, Micah, Sneezewort. I'm going to say that's a potter plant. That's right. Used in potions, including the befuddlement drought and the strong invigoration drought. So, all right, that's how we play potter plant or Pokemon. (laughs) <laughs> Franzi, I think, did the best. Congratulations, yes. Franzi. Hey, you're a pro. Well done. <laughs> you're bad at keeping plants alive, but you're great at guessing if something is a potter plant or Pokemon. <laughs> Both not real. So, yeah, that <laughs> works for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be moving on to our main discussion about Professor Sprout and the role of herbology in the series in a moment. But first, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about our first sponsor of the week. They're Third Love, and they make the best bras on the market. Now with the weather getting warmer here in the U.S., it's a nice reminder to unwind and treat yourself once in a while. And with Third Love's perfectly fitted bras and quality loungewear, putting on your essentials feels like indulging yourself every day. It makes such a difference to have a bra that fits just right and is also insanely comfortable. 
Before I found third love, it was an expectation that bras would dig in and be scratchy against my skin, but no more. Third Love's bras are just supportive enough to remind you that they've literally got your back, but you won't need to go throughout your day constantly adjusting the fit or counting down the hours until you can go home and put on comfy clothes. And speaking of comfy clothes, Third Love has recently introduced its own line of loungewear, Lounge by Third Love. From lazy Sundays on the couch to weekend outings, Third Love loungewear is made to wear everywhere. These premium cotton fabrics are available in drapey, easy fits, sized extra small through 3X. Treat yourself with something that fits like it was made just for you with Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast to get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 20% off today. As Andrew mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about Professor Sprout and Herbology's role in the Harry Potter series, given that Professor Sprout's birthday is coming up in just a few days. So I wanted to start off the discussion by asking, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think of Professor Sprout? Just throw words out there. Andrew, we'll start with you. (laughs) Plant. Oh, okay, fine. Eric? Hilarious. Really? Okay. Okay. Jolly. That's a good one. Laura? Earth. Ooh. Ooh. And uh, along those lines, I thought of dirty. Take that as you will. (laughs) Dirty. Okay. (laughs) But we did also want to kind of just run through her bio really quickly, as we've done with other characters when we've celebrated their birthdays. And I did a little bit of research here in looking at her name origin, particularly her first name, uh, Pomona. Pomona was a goddess of fruitful abundance in ancient Roman religion and myth. Her name comes from the Latin word pomum, which means fruit, specifically orchard fruit. So I don't think that's a surprise there, considering that she is the herbology professor. And Mm -hmm. then sprout. Sprouting is the natural process by which seeds or spores germinate and pop out shoots. So a very appropriate name. And we know that J.K. Rowling often would go back into Greek and Roman mythology to come up with names for her characters. I bet Dumbledore just like saw her name on her resume and was like, you're hired. <laughs> it's too perfect. You're hired. I find I feel like her name is like almost maybe too on the nose. <laughs> it It's very on the nose. Yeah. Well, like yeah. Remus Lupin being a werewolf. <laughs> uh, yeah, but at least, I mean, Sprout. Like, there. That's very, very forward. I mean, I'm okay with it, um, but it's just I just thought it was funny reading over this. It'd be like if Snape was Severus Beaker or Severus Potions. Oh, or yeah, Severus... I was gonna say you never had a, a teacher, a math teacher named Mr. Algebra, because I did. <laughs> Kidding. There was a weather woman in uh, Philadelphia named Amy Frost. And I'm like, is that really your last name? Probably not. (laughs) But apparently it was. It was just too perfect. Sounds like it could work for another industry too. But (laughs) It's like, I mean, I've definitely heard of weather uh, broadcaster names like Sunny Skies, you know, and it's like, there's no way that's your name. Does anybody think that uh, Professor Sprout might have changed her name to be more in line with her profession? No. That's not very helpful, puppy. <laughs> That's a little nutty. It'd be like, hmm, I need a leg up somehow. I know. I'll make my name Pomona Sprout. 
So it just seems like I was born to be a herbology teacher. You know, for all we know, she could come from a long line of plant lovers and they would name her Pomona. It's sort of like one of those self-fulfilling, like my parents named me so-and-so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very true. And of course, we're just playing here. Like, we don't actually think that. It's just a fun premise to consider. Yeah. (laughs) It was certainly a nice throwback, though, because I used to manage the name origin section of MuggleNet back in the day. So as mentioned, she does have a birthday coming up in just a couple of days on May the 15th. She is a Taurus. And I know this is Eric's favorite part when we get to discuss the uh, Zodiac sign. So I'm going to let you take this, Eric. (laughs) All right. Here we go. This is from uh, the always reliable famousbirthdays.com horoscope. Being a Taurus born on May 15th, your personality is defined by your discipline and loyalty. You are very hardworking, and this is a result of your commitment to success. While others struggle to find willpower, you take on a challenge with undying fortitude. Sounds very Hufflepuff to me. Your sign's elemental pair is Earth, and in fact, of all the zodiac signs, only the Taurus has a fixed connection to Earth. Your special elemental connection gives your personality the stubborn and stable qualities of an immovable boulder. In the same sense, it is your earthly influence that creates your prudent and practical nature. Thanks to Earth, you will always work towards realistic goals. Laura, is this why you said Earth? This Your isn't why. Oh. Um, I was I was just thinking about, you know, if you walk into the greenhouses, what's the first thing you're going to smell? And the smell that I would associate with Sprout is earth. Mm-hmm. Like, I imagine that she probably just, like, has a er- very earthy smell about her because she's always working with plants. Always covered in dirt. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Trees. Pine. Pine. Hmm. I was going to say, it probably depends what kind of greenhouse you're walking into in terms of what you smell. <laughs> oh, Micah. And Professor Sprout is played in the films by the wonderful Miriam Margulies. <laughs> I just love this woman. I didn't, I will say, I didn't pay too much attention to her back when the films were coming out. Um, but I've seen some of her... <laughs> some of her personality shine just from watching like episodes of the Graham Norton show. And very recently a Potter fan started um, requesting cameos of Potter actors, but he wanted them to roast him. And hers was one of the best ones. I think I sent it to y'all. Yeah. It's a little graphic, so I don't think we should play it on the show. Yeah, No, we're not like definitely (laughs) it's like adult content, but it was hilarious. I will add that it's also hard to really pay attention to her in the movies because she barely appears in the movies. Right. So I don't blame you for that. No. And it is unfortunate because from doing research for this episode, we've come to learn that there's quite a bit of backstory there. Um, one of the primary things that stuck out to me is that uh, Professor Sprout and Professor McGonagall had a couple of years of overlap during their schooling at Hogwarts Mm. and actually began their friendship there. Um, Pomona felt homesick until her friend Minerva helped her get used to the school. They also helped each other learning the subjects they eventually taught. That's so cool. That's so sweet. Study buddies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And we don't really get to see them interact that much in the books either. And I just like to think, you know, 
teaching is a rough job, y'all. I like to think that Pomona and Minerva got together for a nice glass of wine after a hard day of teaching, (laughs) you know, Mm. Um, but we never get to see any of that. And if they were school friends and they ended up teaching at the school they went to, I just have to imagine that there's a deeper friendship going on there. I I agree. There is a staff room at Hogwarts, right? Doesn't Harry have to go in once or twice and get somebody? Maybe it's the matron or somebody. Mm -hmm. I would watch that spinoff series, (laughs) Sprout and McGonagall just gossiping over their days. yeah, the adventures of Sprout and McGonagall. Uh, With a glass of wine. Yeah. Can you see Sprout, like, running her own winery behind Hogwarts or something? I mean, she works with other plants. Yeah, I was going to say, why not? (laughs) <laughs> do you think that she would actually stamp the grapes herself? Yes. Make the no, she'd get yes. her Hufflepuffs to do it. Work smarter, not yeah, harder. But she would definitely work with them. She wouldn't stand there and watch them work. She would be like, all right, lads, like, I'm going to jump in now. She'd be so... <laughs> jump in. Yeah. I could see her having the mandrakes do it. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say that, but they're so small. They couldn't they don't squash have those grapes, could they? <laughs> they could scream at the grapes. <laughs> Ugh. Instant annihilation. Fatality. I could see uh, Hogwarts having a wine cellar or something because the pet fryer oh, yeah. doesn't he have like always a wine glass with him? Oh, yep. yeah. Oh, man. Imagine how old all that wine is. <laughs> Dang. And Laura, when you mentioned this about Sprout and McGonagall, it made me think back to the fan fiction episode we did a couple weeks ago. And the one that I had was actually about McGonagall. So it did get me thinking, were there any good Sprout fan fictions that you've come across over the years? So I actually have to confess, I haven't read any Sprout fan fictions, but I did do a quick Google search when you included this question. And they are out there. Um, Most of them tend to center on a young Pomona in her Hogwarts days. But I did also find a new ship (laughs) that exists in fan fiction called Splitwick, which is Sprout (laughs) and Flitwick. And I kind of love it because these are the two, like the two heads of houses that don't get very much fanfare in the stories. Yeah. And Franzi, you actually had a really good point here. Yeah. Uh, when I read that in the doc, I was immediately thinking back about the um, the false information that got into the Philosopher's Stone uh, 20th anniversary editions of Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff, where they put... Um, the fun fact about Flitwick and um, Sprout in there that they actually had a long-term relationship mm-hmm. a few years back. Um, <laughs> and I have my uh, my copy here. I know it originated from a tweet from College Humor, I think. And they put it um, at, did you know Professor Flitwick had a long-term relationship with fellow teacher Professor Sprout? Sadly, it didn't work out, but they remain friends. Oh my gosh, I completely so forgot about that. <laughs> yep. Me too. Uh, yeah. That went in an official Harry Potter book, a real copy of Sorcerer's Stone. Yep. Somebody was oh, reading man. the somebody was reading the HP wiki when they were putting together the <laughs> damn house. Well, edition. no, I think the HP wiki would be smart enough to realize that that was a tweet from College Humor, well, right? Mm, they must have gotten it from somewhere else. Just anyone can put it in there. Yeah, but you have to source and yeah. I don't Yeah, you could be right. But I'm just picturing this person whoever put that in there. Googling like fun sprout facts. Right. And then that like tweet showed up in an image image search and they didn't see the source and God, so embarrassing. Well <laughs> I mean it's, it's definitely there. I mean, I was following along in my copy of Sorcerer's Stone, Ravenclaw edition, as Franzi was reading that. So 
I wonder, did they remove it from future copies? I would hope so. I they must have. Yeah. I mean, can you really blame them for thinking that might have been true? I mean, in recent years, we've all talked about, um, you know, what we've learned about the way wizards used to vanish their poo that is 100% canon. <laughs> and I feel like if you see that and you're led to believe that's real, it's a little bit less... Um, surprising to read oh two of the hogwarts professors were in a relationship you know yeah definitely seem like the most logical too of of any of them because if you look around who else are you going to pair together Mm -hmm. i i'm sure it's been done i'm sure there's fan fiction so i'm not going to say the oh yeah there is who would you pair together like that but yeah flitwick and sprout seem like a nice couple Speaking of that, just the idea that both Flitwick and Sprout are a little less prominent in the books, I think it does have to do with, of course, McGonagall being Harry's head of house and then with Snape being just so awful. But I think it's fitting that the head of Hufflepuff house would be somebody like Sprout who kind of keeps her head down and does her work because that is what the, the house values above all else. Yeah, and you actually had a quote here about Hufflepuffs, the fact that they're trustworthy and loyal. We don't shoot our mouths off, but cross us at your peril. Like our emblem, the badger, we will protect ourselves, our friends and our families against all comers. Nobody intimidates us. That doesn't seem very Hufflepuffy, but- <laughs> Well, no, it, 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 it it's excellent. That is from the welcome letter on Pottermore, aka the only time J.K. Rowling put any energy into explaining why Hufflepuffs aren't just a bunch of duffers. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so Sprout is very accomplished. You know, we're going to at some point go through some of the things that she did in contributing to the series. But for me, it's very, you know, being a Hufflepuff myself, it's very exciting to see that she can be really, really competent, but not always be the center of attention. It's kind of admirable that she kind of has her own passion and it's planting and she does that. And then... It's cool. Like, don't come at her or she'll cut you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I also just wanted to add here, she is one of the few people in this series who just seems completely unfazed by Harry's fame. Hmm. You know, like she just doesn't care. To, To her, he's another student just like all of her students. And we see, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but we see through her relationship with Neville, for example, that, you know, student success to her is not dependent on the house they originate from. So I think that we could also use that to make the argument that, again, um, Hufflepuffs, Hufflepuffs, excuse me, are really the most objective of the four houses. Definitely. I would agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think you have a question here, Laura, that goes a bit to what Eric was saying earlier about how Hufflepuff is a bit, uh, and, and through Sprout, underdeveloped in terms of representation in the series and, you know, looking at that in comparison to Gryffindor, which is Harry's house and just how much time he spends with other Gryffindors and with McGonagall and then Snape mm-hmm. and Slytherin also are heavily featured because of who Snape is and the fact that Slytherin is really sort of the antagonist in, throughout the entire series from a house perspective to Harry's house. 
Yeah, it really does kind of create a binary um, in terms of like (laughs) the importance of the Hogwarts houses where it's like Gryffindor versus Slytherin. Honestly, you can even see that reflected in a lot of the early merchandising for the Potter series. Like I remember um, there was a time where if you wanted House Pride stuff, it was either going to be Gryffindor or Slytherin. (laughs) You weren't going to get the other things. Hmm. Yeah, even in the even in the theme park when they opened in 2010. Yeah, yeah and I, I feel maybe I threw out a bit of a unfair question here in terms of how we would rank Sprout in comparison to the other heads of house. Aww. Because yeah. I guess it depends. <laughs> That's a bad question. How are you determining the ranking? What what determines order here? I, I'm not really sure. I, certainly in terms of page time or screen time, it's probably a, a battle between her and Flitwick in terms of just how much notoriety she gets, but she does have a lot of shine in, in Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets really is her year. Right. <laughs> she's she's in charge of, you know, the whole Mandrake thing. And 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 actually throughout the books, we're really learning a lot about the magical world. A lot of world building is is really brought in through Sprout sort of indirectly. We learn that like for instance in book four, booba tubers. <laughs> It's like Harry. Harry says it's the most disgusting thing he's ever looked at. But she's like, "Yeah, this venom is is ridiculously restorative, and we're going to bottle some for Madame Pomfrey." Like, you just learn a lot about how potions are going to work, even though she's not the potions teacher. You learn a lot about plants and general world building through classes such as Sprouts. Yeah, right? yeah. and I think it's pretty cool too that Sprout is teaching her students through practical tasks like hey we're going to like obtain this venom today so that we can pass it along to madame pomfrey because of its amazing restorative powers Mm -hmm. so you're actually teaching the students through practical application of the field right i'd like to add something to that actually from harry's focal point um we don't see much of her because I think herbology classes are so hands-on. They are easily for him to um, talk to his friends more and strategize during the classes. You know, he doesn't have to listen too much to her. So I think she gets more in the background because he has a lot more freedom in this class to talk to Ron and Hermione. Mm. That's a great point. Yeah, it does kind of, and you can say the same thing about charms. Um, herbology and charms tend to be the classes where the trio are able to not pay as much attention and, you know, talk about the latest end of year scandal that's going to come their way. Right. Totally. Yeah. I feel like if they did that in potions, they would get yelled at and or hit by Professor Snape and McGonagall would probably throw some detentions their way for, for not paying attention. So uh, that those are all really great points, uh, but but I do also think it is important. Sprout really does get her own book in Chamber of Secrets in many ways, and, and is at the focal mm-hmm. point of the story, at least in in terms of the resolution. And that's not necessarily the case for Flitwick and Ravenclaw. Mm. When I think back, she was really integral to the success of curing all of those who had been petrified in Chamber of Secrets. And I'm not sure that I can find another moment like that for Flitwick. And I say that as a Ravenclaw. Yeah, we're playing the classic Hufflepuff v. Ravenclaw game of my head of house is less appreciated than yours. Um, (laughs) But I don't think it's wrong. 
I think that, you know, if you take out the movieism that Flitwick uh, has something to do with uh, music at Hogwarts, he's really got nothing in the books. <laughs> yeah, we don't see them getting too involved in the books, but I'm not particularly bothered by that. Maybe that stems from not being a Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff, but <laughs> there's enough going on in these books without the addition of, you know, more involvement from these two teachers. Yeah, I think it's enough that when they need to, they show up, they're competent, they fight off whatever they, you know, and they're they're always helpful to the other teachers and like McGonagall, like you mentioned, their friendship, Laura, um, you know, they're just always helpful, always competent, they can be relied on. That's what a head of house and any teacher should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think, though, that the Wizarding World franchise has shown that it's very interested in continuing to build out this world and provide more representations of the different houses. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, as spinoff shows eventually <laughs> inevitably start coming, if we might see some series centered around some of these characters that didn't get as much of the limelight in the Potter books. Yeah, for sure. I think a Sprout series, a Sprout story would really thrive these days because millennials love plants. <laughs> I, I myself have become a plant daddy this past year. So like, I would love a series or just more info on Sprout and how she, uh, how she gardens the best ways what, to What are you growing, Andrew? Plants. What do you got? Well, I do have a lemon tree. I do. I just have a lot of plants around the house inside because after Christmas, you take down all the decorations and your place just looks so sad. But if you add plants, you, you keep your house green and it's really nice. Huh. So you get to enjoy that all year instead of just Christmas, you know? If yeah. we get a Sprout TV series or if Sprout was more prominent in the harry potter overall tv series i would still cast miriam margulies for her i just want i just want more yeah i'm gonna get you a shirt andrew that says plant daddy okay. and I sure <laughs> have one. why don't you just get him a shirt that says daddy and we'll write plant over top of it <laughs> you can definitely find a plant daddy shirt or hat i yeah. promise I'm fun with this again the millennials your birthday a lot of millennials want to be plant daddies your birthday is coming up i'm on it you don't have worry. my address yep get on it thank you <laughs> no problem Francie, speaking of Sprout not being too visible in the series, you think this might actually cause an issue with readers having difficulty drawing a line between Sprout and Hufflepuff? Yeah, when I heard um, that I would be on the show and um, you told me the topics, I told my boyfriend about it and he made me come up with this question because he asked me, was Professor Sprout the small one? And I was like, no, <laughs> Hufflepuff's head teacher. And he didn't know <laughs> still. And then uh, after I told him that the herbology professor, et cetera, et cetera, uh, he, he knew who I was talking about. So um, I guess uh, for an average reader like him, he read the books once when they came out and watched the movies like a couple of times. It's not that visible. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I think especially for a casual fan, you know, maybe somebody who didn't finish all the books or somebody who only saw the movies. I don't think that they would draw the connection between Professor Sprout and Hufflepuff or even understand why that connection is important. Because it's especially in the movies, after Chamber of Secrets, um, you just don't get a ton of 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 Professor Sprout as a focal point, right? 
Um, and even in Chamber of Secrets, you have the fun scene where they're, you know, repotting the mandrakes. Um, but then, and someone help me if my memory is off here, but I don't remember the movie really driving home the point that it was Professor Sprout who came up with the antidote right? for it the just, petrified students. It just sort of happened. Dumbledore yeah. mentions it uh, in like a, a small line when, when Harry is in the hospital wing. He said that Professor Sprout is working on the antidote, uh, but it's not really memorable. You can miss that line so, so easily. Right. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a moment in the Great Hall at the very end when Hagrid comes back, it's just before, I think he does acknowledge Sprout and she kind of gives like a little bit of a smirk or a smile. I could be misremembering this too, but I agree that she's not given the the notoriety. And, and I even found at times too, when just thinking about heads of house, right, it's so easy to remember that McGonagall is the head of Gryffindor and Snape is the head of Slytherin. Yeah. And then it's like the two in between if that's how you're looking at it, with with Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff, you start to think to yourself. And then I've even at times second guessed myself if you know Flitwick and and Sprout are in fact the heads of <laughs> really Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. No, I do too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, huh? I'm like, do I have that right? Am, am am I missing something here? So I think it does speak to how they were written into the story, and they're almost in many ways maybe with the exception of Chamber of Secrets, they're kind of an afterthought just because I feel like those two houses are kind of an afterthought for the most part in the series. Well, when we hear about Gryffindor and Slytherin always wanting glory, that's exactly right, right? They, they're more inclined to butt heads. They're more inclined to end up in the paper for acts of you know tremendous um, doing. They're very much not the temperament of Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw, which are like, keep your head down, do your work, do some studying, you know, better yourself from an internal perspective. They all have Quidditch teams, of course. And that's actually ends up being one of the major ways we hear about any house is like when Harry is battling Ravenclaw and having to fend off Cho. But the uh, by by and large, they're the houses that really do keep their heads down. True. And I think the first time we're really introduced to a notable Hufflepuff outside of Professor Sprout, they end up dying at the end of the book. Right. (laughs) Yep. Poor Cedric. (laughs) And then, yeah, we do get other characters that kind of shine through from both of the houses. And it's fine. But at the same time, I think if you identify with those houses in particular, you find it a little bit you feel slighted, right? Yeah. And and I feel like J.K. Rowling has done a lot post Potter series to try and build up those houses a little bit, like giving you notable witches and wizards that were in Ravenclaw or were in Hufflepuff. And now obviously we have an entire separate series of a notable Hufflepuff in Newt's Commander. When's it going to be our turn though, Micah? I know. <laughs> Just going to have to wait. And Franzi too, you're a Ravenclaw. Yeah. Like, <laughs> When is it going to be our turn? We got a couple of characters that had a lot of uh, more spotlight than other Hufflepuff students, like Cho Chang or Luna. That's mm-hmm. true. True. Yeah, we did have more book representation. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. But wasn't Flitwick a dueling champion? Didn't we learn that about him? 
Yeah. I want to see him back in his heyday, just taking people down. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Well, we also have a little bit more context about um, Professor Sprout's teaching style from WizardingWorld.com. Despite a no-nonsense attitude in the greenhouses, Professor Sprout was fierce, but also fiercely positive. Her encouragement of Neville, in particular, led to the once nervous student excelling in her subject. Maybe if Snape had been a little nicer in potions, Neville would have done better there, too. (laughs) Yep, we've made this point before. Neville's smart, and Neville's very capable, but he's definitely influenced by how other people treat him. So yeah, it is... It is really satisfying to see Neville um, over the course of the books become more proficient in this discipline um, and that Professor Sprout was able to give that to him regardless of house affiliation. And again, I think that just speaks to Hufflepuff objectivity. Yeah. I mean, Snape, you know, if if Neville were to screw up a potion, Snape would rub his face in it or actually threaten to feed it to his toad. Uh, whereas Sprout would never do that. And it's, it's just, you know, all the points have already been made. She is nice to him regardless of what house he's in. And she sort of unlocks Neville. She finds, you know, in him, he finds a subject that he can feel truly confident about, even going so far as to replace her as herbology teacher one day. Yeah. I actually find it interesting though, to raise this point because, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about this later, but there is such a strong connection between herbology and potions and the fact mm-hmm. that Neville is really good at one, but not good at the other. <laughs> and th- that you need plants to be able to do a good job at potions. I-, I would just think that he would be better. But again, that speaks to how Snape chooses to treat him throughout the course of the series. And then we have a uh, a really kind of interesting, cool note here on the Hufflepuff a common room, it seems like, says Professor Sprout uh, brings the most interesting specimens, some of which dance and talk to decorate our room. One reason why Hufflepuffs are very good at herbology. (laughs) And thank you, Franzi, for putting that in there. I mean, I can't imagine just what Hufflepuffs smoke and what that room is like. I mean, with all these things <laughs> dancing around, like, are they really dancing around? Like, I just think it's incredibly charming that Professor Sprout comes and decorates their common room. I don't think we've ever heard of any other head of house doing this. Need to make it green. Everything's yeah. more green, you know, especially after Christmas. <laughs> things are less, you know, exciting. Everything's gone, dead. But, uh, but yeah, the Hufflepuff common room, both in Pottermore and in Hogwarts Mystery, actually, you can see it. It's sort of at, I want to say, ground level or just below. There's light streaming in. There's plants and poofy chairs. And it's very earthy. And we know it's near the kitchens. It's basically just like an extension of the greenhouse, it seems. Near the kitchens. Yeah. They grow lettuce in the common room and then bring it over to the kitchen. I mean, food and plants. Who could want any more out of a common room? And poofy (laughs) chairs. Yeah, I would really love to see the common room in the movie coming up. Maybe when we see another flashback from Newt or something. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Can you imagine when Newt was there, what would be running around in the common room? In addition to all these plans. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We now have our top Sprout moments in the books. And I thought it was interesting because, Eric, you put in in our outline top Sprout (laughs) moments in the books. But 
when I started reading into Sprout and looking at what we knew about Sprout, I realized that these actually are not the top Sprout moments, but they are the only even moderately significant moments from her <laughs> across all seven books. Like these are that's the only fair. times <laughs> that's, she appears. Yes, that's accurate. Yes. <laughs> it's fascinating actually that we have this list. I mean, we should make this a social media card and publish this. I think this is a big revelation. She appears so little in the books in any sort of kind of significant role. Yeah. That said, she does affect the plot and does affect the change. And let's let's start this yeah, off here. Occasionally. With, yeah. Yeah. From time to time. Once a book. About once a book. And that's more than like <laughs> other characters like Grop. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, um, she does set up for the year one. Um, what's the what's what I guess is the word protection against the Sorcerer's Stone. It is she who chooses and designs the Devil's Snare trap that the trio fall into pretty much right when they go through the trap door. What I like about sort of this decision and this plant in particular is that most people, when they land on what they find is these roots that are like encircling them, they will panic. And, you know, that is just the natural response, even that the, the children have when they fall through. And I think it's such a smart, cool thing to do uh, that if somebody's trying to break in, all they need to do is not try and break in and they'll get through. It's just a genius sort of move. Yeah, and it's notable that it after Fluffy, it is the first line of defense. So she is she is tasked with coming up with something that's hopefully you know outside of a three headed dog, uh, going to deter people from going any further, potentially even suffocating them if the devil snare does its job. Yeah, yeah. I find it interesting too that the barriers of protection for the stone start out very physical. And then they turn more cerebral. So we start out with, you know, the devil's snare, Fluffy, the flying keys. But then we start moving into the chess match and, you know, the potion logic puzzle. Um, and it's really interesting. I, I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting call out that it's like very demanding physically. And if you can get past that, then we're going to put your brain to the test. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it might have just been a movieism that they just have to relax. Now I'm trying to rack my brain and think if that was the solution in the in the in the book. But no, even just it, having to, yeah, you have to conjure sunlight, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, so there you go. You're you're going from dodging a three headed dog, a very physical activity, to conjuring, having to like work with your wand and your smarts and figure out how to get sunlight in one of the darkest chambers that's like in the middle of the school. Mm-hmm. I might remember this wrong, but. Doesn't fire work too for the devil's snare? Yes. Okay. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But um, we have no the, wood. <laughs> in the book, Hermione casts the bluebell charm, like the bluebell flame charm that she used on Snape at the Quidditch match. <laughs> and that's how they're able to get past it. But she definitely panics in the moment, to your point, Eric. Yeah, I just, I got to not watch the movie ever again. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you have to relax. Relax. <laughs> What about in book two? What do Harry this is her and Ron big book. do? Yeah. <laughs> well, she puts the Whomping Willow into a sling after Harry and Ron crash the car into it. So, I, you know, it's one of those things where you have a professor, like Sprout, walking up to this huge murderous tree, as it's called here, <laughs> and knowing how to tame it, knowing how to make it relax so that she can properly care for it. I mean, 
I would expect her as the herbology professor to be able to do that. But who knows? Maybe uh, Dumbledore tipped her off in terms of what she had to do in order to get the Whomping Willow to uh, stay still. I mean, even if you know that the knot is there and you know the knot trick, you're still walking up to a deadly tree and presumably like Mm -hmm. at any moment, you know, it could come out from under sedation and beat you to a pulp like the even just the idea of putting it in a sling so that it can heal so that it can be like a fully restored whomping willow someday is sprouts i guess boldness i wouldn't go anywhere near that tree even if i knew about the knot yeah and i also think it speaks to her confidence in taking care of the the situation and her competence in how to take care of these situations yeah in my in my headcanon the whomping willow is sentient And it knows, like it senses that Professor Sprout is there to take care of it. Mm -hmm. And as Mm. a result, is not quite as violent as it typically is. A way to diminish the risk factor there for Sprout. And she cares (laughs) for plants and nature and the tree respects that. Yeah. Well, no, I could could also see if the tree started trying to get, you know, feisty with her, I could see her being like, hey, no. Slap it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I could see a trust factor. I I like that idea, having that connection, Laura. Well, and I know we mentioned the Mandrakes before, the fact that she is able to restore everyone who is petrified, but that includes nearly headless Nick, who's a ghost. I think they said that they, she like aerosolizes the, 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 like puts up a fan and it, and blows it. He shouldn't have even been petrified in the first place, but that's a whole nother discussion. Probably not, but he would have (laughs) died. Remember, he was the one who like absolutely would have died, but was already dead. Um, but anyway, the, the idea that she figures out how to do all this and, you know, normally if you're talking about petrification from the basilisk, this extremely obscure creature, um, it, you know, you would think that Dumbledore would need to bring in a team of specialists, uh, somebody from Mungo's, maybe everybody would have been sent off to St. Mungo's in London for their recovery. But no, I mean, Dumbledore is able to do this in house because he's hired the right people for it. Somebody like Sprout could probably actually be a well-renowned, you know, healer of sorts. Um, Instead, she's the herbology professor, but she's able to do all this in-house for Dumbledore. And I I think that, again, speaks to just how skilled she is in her field. Agreed. I feel like Professor Sprout and Madame Pomfrey would work hand-in-hand together, like not for the book two events, but like for everything else, like restocking her shelves and the hospital <laughs> wing too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well because we know that so many um magical healing items wouldn't be possible without magical plant life. So I'm sure that Professor Sprout kind of doubles as like supply storage for Madame Pomfrey. <laughs> <laughs> And for Professor Snape, to be honest with you, I mean, where are they getting all of their supplies from? It has to be from Sprout. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at in the in the real world, you know, modern medicine is predicated on on plants. The pharmaceutical industry is all it's all plant. It's all stuff we've learned about by picking apart, you know, heating up, smoking plants. Well, another yep. example we have of her is in book four, where she at least from Harry's point of view, from his vantage point, um, sides with Cedric over him. Um, and Franzi, you very kindly went and pulled the the quote from this, but it was from chapter 18 of Goblet of Fire, The Wing of the Wands. 
says Harry thought even Professor Sprout seemed distant with him, but then she was head of Hufflepuff House. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with this. Because again, we've been spending this whole episode talking about how underdeveloped and underrepresented Hufflepuffs are. This is their moment. You know, the Hogwarts champion is from Hogwarts. But Harry Potter's involved again. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame anyone for feeling Harry fatigue, except for Ron. He should never have felt any of that. And you can't, of course, blame Sprout because she's head of Hufflepuff House. She wants to see a Hufflepuff win this and compete without a Gryffindor getting involved. Unlike if this were Snape, he would be saying something. You would have dialogue of him actively opposing Harry. You know, this is just in Harry's head saying she seemed a little distant. That's the way to do, you know, your conflicting loyalty right there. Just kind of right. maybe pull yourself out of the situation a little bit. You know, that's the smart way to handle it. If you have a bias towards your own house, which is every teacher does, then just kind of maybe don't say anything. But to maybe give Sprout a bit of a reprieve here, though, it could just be Harry's paranoia at yeah. this point. He thinks True. so many people don't like him because his name was pulled from the Goblet of Fire. And and I think by this point, he's probably just overwhelmed with the situation. And he's just, he's trying to find somebody to make him feel better. And he's like, oh man, even Professor Sprout doesn't want to talk to me. Seemed distant, right? We all think at times that people seem distant from us, but maybe we're just overthinking it. Yeah. Well, and what if she didn't quite know what to say or do in the moment? (laughs) You know, that could be why. Um, So it's an example of how you never really know how, you know, other people's emotions manifest themselves. And what might come across to you as somebody being distant could be anxiety or somebody feeling like a situation is particularly ambiguous and not knowing what to say or do. I will, um, I will totally. say that is sort of the negative point of Hufflepuffs that is shown in the books, though, is that how loyal they are to one another. So this Sprout quote isn't, um, you know, it doesn't make her a villain, but we've heard of like Ernie McMillan and everyone like in book two, when Justin Finch Fletchley is nearly attacked by Harry and then later attacked, um, the Hufflepuffs really sort of line up to disdain him. And, you know, especially with the Potter sucks, you know, support Cedric Diggory badges in book four, a lot of Hufflepuffs really are closing rank and being pretty horrible to Harry. Um, I think it's important that Sprout does not follow suit the way that Snape sucks up to the Slytherins and does the same. But but yeah, I mean, Hufflepuffs, that is if they have a downside and speaking from, you know, as a high Hufflepuff here, um, they can be a little close to one another and and a little exclusive i guess in a way yeah um i wanted to add like maybe she was acting um, and trying to look as neutral as possible yes yeah Um, Yeah. impartiality Mm -hmm. yeah because a lot of hufflepuffs are in this class too and she's the head teacher as we (laughs) know but yeah she didn't want to look uh like she isn't loyal anymore, I think. Maybe. <laughs> Otherwise they'd know. cut her out. They'd be like, you yeah. scab. <laughs> Remember when Professor Sprout sided with Harry Potter in the Triwizard World Tournament? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> She's got to think about her retirement and her children and her legacy exactly. at Hogwarts. Running through the rest of this list um, here so we can move on to uh, 
the role of herbology in the series. Um, in book five, uh, Professor Sprout gives Harry extra house points following his Quibbler interview in a thinly veiled criticism of Umbridge. I love it. That was her big thing. Yeah. Remember, that's her big <laughs> thing in the entire book. Hey, a huge that's book. That's like as iconic as have a biscuit potter. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> In book six, she reinforces keeping Hogwarts open following Dumbledore's death. And she says, I feel that if a single pupil wants to come, then the school ought to remain open for that pupil. Retweet. Yep. A teacher at heart. (laughs) (laughs) And then in book seven, Sprout suggests Snargaluff pods to cause chaos during the Battle of Hogwarts. Rather than just dodging hexes, the Death Eaters get more than they bargained for with the herbological warfare. I love it. It's such a (laughs) troll thing to do. Like, yeah, we could definitely battle, but I've got these... uh, Snargaluff pods we're going to throw with yeah, that. Here's these weird <laughs> seeds that when they sp- they spill, they sprout and there's goo everywhere and it stinks. And by the way, it sort of burns and, you know, nobody's prepared to handle that. This is what's so great about the Battle of Hogwarts. Many people are using their own skill sets to fight. I'm just thinking of Trelawney and the orbs as well. Would have been great to see in the movie. Just saying. Yeah, <laughs> I know. See last week's episode. <laughs> It's time for a word from this week's sponsor, Quip, and I want to tell you about one of their newest products, chewing gum. While gum itself isn't new, Quip decided to do what they always do and come up with the best version of it. Gum is the unsung hero when it comes to better oral health. Plus, we all know it's fun and refreshing to chew. I have a habit of enjoying gum while driving. I just, when I get in the car, I'm like, I need something to freshen up my mouth, and I always pop some gum in. Quip's new gum is actually good for your oral health and comes with a sturdy little dispenser that you can easily pocket for when you're on the go. Quip gum can help prevent cavities and freshen breath when chewed for 20 minutes after eating. It's sugar-free and has tooth-friendly xyatol with zero calories. And to satisfy your taste buds, Quip added a long-lasting mint flavor and crunchy tri-layer design. It's just the right size, too. Quip is simply your one-stop shop for the best ways to care for your mouth. And if you go to getquip.com muggle right now, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any gum refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com muggle, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com muggle. You can also find the Quip electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and more in the oral care aisle at your local Walmart. Quip is the good habits company. Okay, so Laura, let's talk about herbology and its role in the series. Yeah, so herbology and the study of plants um, is in the real world. The reason that we have modern medicine and pharmaceuticals, something that Eric touched on a little bit earlier. Um, But there are definitely magical plants in the Potter world that have those same properties in the real world. Um, For example, mandrake root is believed to restore the body, for one. Um, And other potions ingredients in the books are well-researched, too. Um, We also see that gillyweed helps Harry during the second Triwizard task. So it's safe to say that herbology... While maybe it doesn't get a ton of representation in the books, um, is a necessary discipline and one without which Harry would have been unable to complete his story arc. Yeah. But I thought what was really interesting and we could dig into a little bit is the relationship between herbology and potions as disciplines. It's something that we touched on a little bit earlier in the episode um, Micah, I think you were about to add something. No, I, I mean, it's also used 
as a weapon, right? If I'm thinking mm-hmm. back to what happens to Broderick Bode in St. Mungo's. So, mm. you know, it, we see moments of herbology, you know, not just when Snuffleupagus pods are being thrown, you know, as being <laughs> <laughs> used as weapons, but, but also, you know, in extreme cases like that. Um, and, and it's easy just to forget those moments. And so it, Good that you kind of ran through those. That's all I was going to say. I think the thing that's really interesting about potions is that potions as a discipline wouldn't be possible without the plant life that makes them. Mm-hmm. We see, I mean, you can read through any potion scene in the books and at least one of the ingredients, if not more than one, will be some kind of plant-based material. And I thought that there's sort of an interesting, and and maybe we could even make an argument for some ring theory here, Um, but there is an interesting connection between these disciplines in books two and six, um, where, you know, in book two, Professor Sprout's discipline is really sort of like the crux of the story. Honestly, it's what allows... um, the the conclusion and the resolution to happen. And it's the same in book six, where Professor Slughorn, who is now the potions professor, he really holds the key to what Harry needs in order to progress along with his conflict with Voldemort, right? Um, so even though that particular story element doesn't really have anything to do with potions, I think it's notable that it's the potions professor who was put in this position of sort of being the one who gave Tom Riddle the knowledge he needed in order to split his soul seven times. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I love this point about herbology and potions being so connected because you would think that because they are intertwined, you would see more of Snape and Sprout working together in some way. Mm. But I really don't think you see that across the series no snape doesn't strike me as somebody who likes to collaborate (laughs) (laughs) but like he needs sprout in a way he needs ingredients from her he does and that's the really interesting things and thinking about how potions could be different from herbology why they aren't just the same class you almost get like in my head i think of herbology as being more of care of magical plants versus like the way that care of magical creatures and Hagrid's class does that. Whereas potions is the chopping up of those plants that you've cared for. So that's kind of the way I see it is like the, the plants that need either ongoing care or, you know, you're, you're milking the venomous tentacular. You're like having to keep them alive for their continued usage in potions and magical things. That's what Sprout does. And then, you know, Snape really just interacts with those same ingredients, but once they've already been sort of separated and, and, and put together. Yeah. But it's basically, right. you, it could be the same class if there was more time devoted to it. Agreed. And and I, I still think that point that we touched on earlier about Neville is, is so interesting because if he is as gifted at herbology as it comes across in the series, but yet he's unable to be even remotely competent at potions. The fact that the teacher is at the core of that and how the teacher approaches the student 
is really interesting. And I wonder, would he have done better with Slughorn? He doesn't come back, right, for that sixth year of potions. At least I don't remember him being in that class. I wonder if he would have had a teacher like Slughorn all along, would Neville have become really good at potions? Yes. Neville's clearly competent. I also don't know, though, because Slughorn is sort of like, for as cruel as Snape is towards students, Slughorn can be a little bit neglectful um, if he doesn't get the sense that you have anything to offer him, if he can't collect you, he doesn't seem as interested in mentoring you. And yeah, yeah. is he the, the prophecy... waiter? I mean, I don't remember. Sorry yeah. from the book, but like in the movie, he's the waiter at the Christmas party. <laughs> I know. So dumb. God, it's it's another movieism that just makes me cringe. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Neville could have been the chosen one, but he wasn't. And because of that, nobody really knows about his connection to the prophecy and just how close he came to being in Harry's shoes. You know, so I don't I don't really know. I don't think that Slughorn would have gone out of his way to be cruel to Neville. But I also don't know that he would have gone out of his way to sort of uh, nourish him intellectually, you know. Do you think Neville would need that, though, to excel? Maybe he just needed somebody who didn't bully him. Right. Which is what Snape was doing. Maybe. Snape thought that Neville sucked, and Neville was terrified of Snape. It was a vicious cycle. Yeah, but maybe um, in the sixth year, he would have been, like, too much behind on everything. Because he was too afraid of Snape, so he wasn't really learning anything. Yeah. And so he wouldn't be able to keep up with the stuff they would learn in sixth year. And that's Neville's whole story, right? I mean, even growing up with his grandmother, he grew up in the shadow of her son and constantly got compared to how great of a wizard Frank Longbottom was. And it took Neville a really long time to grow out of that. And I think that what allowed him to do that is his friendship with Harry. Really, I mean, that was what provided him the vessel for his glow up, right? Yeah. So I think that he definitely needed a more nurturing relationship with his professors in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. I just I just think of like there needs to be a scene of him doing everything he does um, in the Ministry of Magic in Book Five, set to some like glow up type of music <laughs> i really want to see it da-da, because da-da, that is his moment <laughs> and i know we've talked about it before too but with neville it it isn't just being raised by his grandmother being in the shadow of his father it's also the wand right we've talked about how he didn't even yep. have his own wand for a period of time so how could he become his own self without with the fact that he's using somebody else's wand we see it with ron too and so I feel like there's definitely like a psychological case study to be done on Neville in terms of how he was treated so poorly in so many ways growing up in the wizarding world. Agreed. And the last point that I would raise about the connection um, between herbology and potions is that it's, you know, potions is the subject that is taught by one of the most biased and cruel Hogwarts professors. Um, But that discipline is also complemented by the subject taught by one of the most objective and fair professors, which is herbology. Yeah. 
yin and yang. <laughs> so that's uh, our discussion on Professor Sprout. I'm not sure if I feel okay. any uh, worse about uh, getting rid of her in the Battle of Hogwarts last week, but... <laughs> Some people were mad about that. I saw on social media. Like, what did Sprout do to you? Yeah. Like a... What did Trelawney do to you, Andrew? Made a lot of false predictions when yeah. I came to her looking for answers about life. Yeah, she sucks. <laughs> Some people agreed with my Trelawney. <laughs> Somebody was like, yeah, she is very disposable. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> she, maybe she just like stumbled drunk into the Black Lake and that was it for her. Is that too rough? I'm sorry. That's pretty rough, rough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who among us has not tripped and fallen over after a few drinks? Come on. That's fair. <laughs> I've got scars to prove. <laughs> to prove I've had a little too much to drink. Ten years on. But anyway, if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can email mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also call us one nine two oh three muggle. That's one nine two oh three six eight four four five three. You can also send a voice memo to mugglecast at gmail.com. If you do send a voice message into us, just try to keep your message about a minute long, please. We'll get to some of your feedback in a future Muggle Mail episode. And now it's time for Quizitch. Last week's question, what is the final sentence in Deathly Hallows prior to the epilogue? The correct answer was, that one's more trouble than it's worth. And quite honestly, I've had enough trouble for a lifetime. It's Harry's line. And uh, any portion of that, especially ending in I've Had Enough Trouble for a Lifetime, was a winning submission. So thanks to everybody who did that. We got a lot of funny usernames that people have submitted. People realize it's a Google form over on our website, so they can very easily come up with funny names. So I'm going to just read the funny name submissions uh, that everyone who got it right <laughs> submitted. Miss Ravenclaw says, hi, scooby doo Door." No, Scooby Dooby Door, Frumpy but Super Smart, Matt Britton, Pious Thickness, <laughs> Britton <laughs> as in Britain, Brit like the country, yeah, not you know our Matt oh. Britton. I that see. Okay, um, I was like, what? Yeah, Liberty Potter, <laughs> Dead Fred, Blue Snake eighty eight, Booba Tuber Puss, uh, Hello Wolf. Penny B and paperwork. Oh, and paperwork three seven seven four seven. And somebody named Micah Choo Choo. Choo Choo. Oh, also Eric's socks. I don't know what that's about. And Bort Voldemort. Choo Choo. <laughs> nice. Choo Choo. I thought the final line before the epilogue was, "Where's Sprout been these past seven years?" <laughs> no. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> well, Sprout, uh, her discipline will appear in this week's quiz question. What is the common name of the family of flowering plants, Solanaceae, which include tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, bell, and chili peppers? Fun. Yeah. See, you couldn't even come up with a question about Sprout. Because there isn't enough to ask <laughs> questions so about. Her, There's nothing to quiz people yeah, on. Yeah, no. Her, her discipline We've covered is, it. Yeah. We've mentioned everything. Right. We gave a complete history of Sprout today in one well, hour. Look at that. It took up a whole episode of MuggleCast. Aren't we all happy? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we're like, we're going to need a part two on, on this right, subject. Right, right. With Sprout, 
Never again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless and I say that with love. Unless you wanted to do an episode on Miriam Margulies, which uh, she's Eric, amazing. you actually interviewed her, right? I meant to ask this I earlier, did, but I you did. actually the, interviewed this, her. The story that we'll tell about this is I had an appointment for a phone interview at like nine thirty a.m. and she was in Chicago doing this play, Dickens Women, that she it's like her thing. And I called her at 9 a.m. I called the hotel and asked to be rung up to the room and they had to check my name. Anyway, she picks up. She doesn't say hello or greetings or anything. It was 9 a.m. on the dot. She says, I do love a punctual boy. <laughs> yeah, she, wow. She had a crush on you. <laughs> it's, it's the craziest, punctual weirdest boy. experience of my life. She is. <laughs> Eric, Eric was flustered. That. I know Laura mentioned... Um, earlier just some of the clips from i'm blanking on the guy's name his show the graham norton show she is one of the funniest people if you just need a laugh go watch anything from her on that show i think there's actually something with her and dan radcliffe from a couple years ago celebrating like the anniversary of the potter movies um but parental warning she is explicit so just a heads up there dirty sense of humor she's dirty (laughs) see Hey, I, any I, head of house, any head of house that comes with their own content warning is okay in my book. Like, yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, you know, she seems like she would be a great person to have a drink with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah did you, Eric? Presuming you could keep up, uh, <laughs> Over the I did phone. not. The, the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, where I ended up, I saw her show later that night. Uh, did not have a bar that I can remember. So it was closed by the time the show was over. That's why we couldn't do it. Anyway, Franzi, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great having you and you did great. Yeah, you were awesome. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm so glad I did okay. <laughs> you did. No, not just okay. You did great. And thanks for supporting us over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. By raising money for the show, we're able to focus on the show in our lives. So thank you to everybody, including Franzi, who supports us there. Patreon.com slash mugglecast. Also, follow us on social media. We're a MuggleCast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And finally, thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Francie. Bye. Bye. Bye.